0: The title of this series that we're going to start is called, if, if I Pray, If I Pray. You know, because a lot of times people, you know, think they're just commanded to pray. But what if I do pray, if I pray? And that's interesting because there's actually a verse that said, if I pray, then certain things will occur. And actually, so if you pray, certain things would happen. Then the question is, if I don't pray, what could happen? And it's good if you're a Christian and you've lived any length of life serving the Lord that this is an interesting question. Have you ever noticed times when you were spending time with God? where you had a time where you set it aside and you talked to God, where your life was at at that time when you were praying? Anybody ever notice that? Thank you for that one hand. But um, isn't that true? And and so if you do pray, we can observe things happen. And so today we're going to talk about how to set your heart. But here's an interesting thing. I don't believe there is one Christian when they first start off after they've given their life to the Lord, where they just think, you know, they have... I don't think there's one that has dreams and aspirations of just doing wrong and uh, turning their back on the Lord and living ways that, that they know are unacceptable. There, I don't believe there's anybody really that has given their life to the Lord that ever thinks... I'm just going to go do these wrong things and sets themselves to do wrong. And purposes to travel down a path that is really self-destructive. But remember this, in this life, normally when our lives blow up, just like a hand grenade, it doesn't just affect me who holds a hand grenade. Anybody close to me gets affected by it. The bigger the explosion, the more the rippling effect occurs, depending where it is. You know, you watch those movies where a hand grenade's thrown inside of a foxhole, you know, or one of those holes, those trenches where the guys are, are uh, you know, fighting the battle, and there's that hero there that realizes either we get that hand grenade out or they do the throw themselves on the hand grenade. Why do they do that? Because they're like, I just want to blow up. No, they realize that that explosion is going to have an effect on a lot of people that are right there. So, better not to affect others and everybody, and I'll just take it. But when we blow up, a lot of times there is just a rippling effect, and sometimes there's just no way to throw yourself on it and, and stop the effects. I don't believe there's anybody that's ever given their life to the Lord that has set themselves, and they're just like thinking, you know, their dream is, I'm going to deny the Lord. I'm going to turn my back on Him. I'm going to burn people. I'm going to be mean. No, when people get saved, they have big dreams, or they start dreaming and thinking, you know, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do something for His kingdom. I'm going to be effective. Isn't that the truth? What happens between that and where people end up? Is it just that God has designated that some fail and others succeed, and His light just shines brighter on some? Some people would say that. Some people would say everything that happens to you is just God's will, and you were just destined to be that way. But that is not true when you really look at the Bible. You could be a failure and have many failures, but not be destined that way by God. Some people won't even rise up to fight against failure and sin because they think, well, maybe this is just my lot in life and this is just what God has for me. I think sometimes people really don't stand back and look at what they're thinking. They don't. Because on one hand, they'll say, God's a good God. And then they'll turn around and go, well, maybe he's just got some bad stuff for me. Now, if you have a good parent, would you think if we designated a parent as good, then then by definition, when you do wrong, they'll turn the stove on and get the iron part of it hot? and then turn it off when it's just hot enough and stick your hand on it? just to do. We wouldn't call that good. But then why would we assess certain things to God like that? You with me? It, it, to me, if you just stand back and look at some of the things that are being said, you would say, wait a minute. That can't go with all the other scriptures that are there. You have to isolate something. And so is it God's design for Christians to not only dream of a better life and to live for the Lord, and I'm not talking about being separate from temptations, separate from hard things, but really serving God and going after it, not just living wrong. Is that His design? Absolutely. What we need to understand is His design doesn't just always automatically come. There's two different scriptures in the Old Testament, I want to look at. One's in 1 Chronicles 22, 18, and 19. And you can either turn there or just listen because we're going to spend some time in, in, in some other verses. But these are uh, some interesting verses about the people who had a covenant with God, you know, the children of Israel. And uh, they had been brought back into the land that God had promised them, and it was a time, you know, there were times in the Old Testament you read, they were fighting, they were going after it, and I mean, they were just, you know, it just seemed like there was battles and battles and battles, and then there were other times when it would just be times of plenty and times of peace, times of prosperity, and uh, or there would be battles with prosperity and provision and stuff, but it but there would just be different things at different times that would come. And here in 1 Chronicles 22, 18, it says this. Is not, is not the Lord your God with you? Well, as Christians, we could say, absolutely. You know, one of my pet peeves is as a Christian, don't say, Lord, be with me today. Come, Holy Spirit, be with us in this service. Because... If you look at Scripture, you would have to deny truth to say that. Because then you have to say he's not with you, he doesn't live in you as a believer, and he has gone against his own character and his own word to leave so he could come show up. And he'll be with you, the Bible said, in trouble, and he said he'd never leave you. And back then, he even was with them but not in them. And it says... Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand. In other words, he subdued, he he helped them to get victory. And it goes on to say, And the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now, set your heart and your soul To seek the Lord, your God. Notice that. Set your heart and your soul to go after God or to seek God or to keep Him in the right place in your life. You have a role in your relationship with God just like you have a role in any relationship. You know, sometimes you do right in a relationship and somebody does you wrong, if they come to you and they've changed and say, forgive me, your role is to forgive. But here are all the words I say, not the part you think of. Yeah, I just forgive and let people stay the same. No, that's caustic. It's not right. But I can still forgive, but then boundaries have to be set. But what if it's me who does wrong? Then my role is to say I'm sorry and to change. Because I can be on either side of the fence at that time. And in a relationship, there has to be both sides. And in our relationship with God, you worry about your role, he'll take care of his. And their role right here, they were commanded to set your heart and your soul or your emotions, your mind, your will to seek the Lord your God. You have to set your heart to seek the Lord, to go after Him. It is not automatic. You with me? And you will have to make adjustments on the journey. What I find interesting is what was just said before. They got the land, times of peace, times of plenty, and then he said, seek the Lord, set your heart. You know, I'm convinced in the good times when pressure is not on, that is a time you have to bear down and really seek the Lord. Because isn't it true when trouble comes your way as a believer, you just go, oh Lord, and you start looking to the Lord. And you start spending time with the Lord because the water's starting to boil. So you have to be on guard when it's all good and when it's not good. As a matter of fact, maybe we should uh, not take a break and think, well, yeah, man, we've made it, it's good. No. I believe our country is in trouble because of this right here. Our country was blessed because of God and because of believers who set themselves to serve the Lord. And what has happened in a time of plenty, people no longer set their heart to seek the Lord because they've been eating the fat of the land. And if you notice, the cow is getting thinner. What happens when it gets hard? I mean, you look at times where there's been great moves of God in countries and in lands, you know, people just think sometimes this God goes, well, I'm going to just dump this on them right now, and they're going to have a revival. Go, go study them. Even what was called a healing revival during, during the 40s, it happened right at the close of World War II. There was a time of distress upon the country. All those ministers that rose up, and there were just all kinds of supernatural healings. It lasted for a number of years. There were meetings. People were flocking to churches. They, the country was in a heavy depression. You know what I mean by that, meaning financial depression and everything. And they started seeking after God, and when you seek, you find, period. Because he said, if you seek, if you seek. And what did we say? If I pray. If you seek, you'll find. And so the country started seeking, and people started seeking, and you can go read, it's history, it is known. But then people kind of drew cold, and it got pretty bad. And then we have the sex craze of the free sex of the late 60s, the 60s and all the way into the late 60s, and then heroin started running rampant, and all the drug craze, and the party people, and the smoking pot, and doing everything you want to. What happened out of that? People found out that that does not fulfill. They started eating plenty, living any way they wanted to. They quit seeking the Lord, and the country just drifted, and what happened? All of a sudden, we know something in the church that the the Jesus movement started, and that's where, you know, like the churches like Calvary Chapel just really took off, where they just, you know, opened the doors to all the hippies. They came in because they were hungry. They found what they had been looking for was not in what they had been looking in, and they just started giving their lives to the Lord in the droves, and then the charismatic renewal was right in the midst of that, where people just started, by the droves, getting filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. All through, It went to the Catholic church, the Baptist church, the Methodist church. It spread everywhere. People were hungry. It just doesn't happen that God does stuff. People start seeking the Lord, and they set themselves, and things start happening, because the positive happens like the negative. There's a ripple effect. You with me? And so these people, in a good time, he said, make sure you set your heart to seek the Lord. And notice what it says. Therefore, arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord your God. You know what's interesting? When people are really seeking after the Lord, they want to build His kingdom. When people are really engaged with God, they are about kingdom things. They Whatever we get engaged in, we want to build. We want to work with. I remember when I got addicted to fishing. I know that sounds funny, but you can get addicted to a lot of things. And I, I built my tackle box. You know, you ever see people who don't fish much? They have like a bobber in there and some cheese and stuff. You think, you're never going to catch anything. They got this line in there and these hooks because they just go to circle K and they go bam, bam, bam. And you think, you're not going to get anything with that. You got to be more dedicated. Maybe they have something by not being that dedicated. But when people get hooked on it, just like anything, they build it. You out there? So if we will set ourselves to seek the Lord, one of the results is we're going to want to build His kingdom because our heart's going to go after it. But here he said, so he said, therefore arise because of this, build the sanctuary of the Lord your God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord God and the holy articles of God into the house that it is to be built for the name of the Lord. You know, when people aren't seeking God, they don't care about church. They don't care about the things of God. Should we condemn them for that? No, but if they're hungry, we can direct them to it. But we're talking about us. And so these people were told to seek the Lord their God, set their heart, set their soul. Not only in good times should we, but also in hard times. And if I don't set my heart, could it lead to disastrous things? Things I never dreamed would occur. I don't, like I said, I don't think anybody starts off thinking, I'm going to end up there. But I don't care where you are, if you are there, you can get back here. You with me? 2 Chronicles, the 12th chapter, says this in the 14th verse, and it's really interesting because he commanded us to do evil and be about the Lord's work, or commanded us to set our hearts and be about the Lord's work. And then here it says this 2 Chronicles 12 14, and he did evil. Now this is this guy who's here in the Bible, he's a covenant person of God, but he started practicing evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He ended up in a place that wasn't right because he didn't set his heart to seek the Lord. Where do you want to end up? It's a good question. Where do you want to end up? If you want to leave the parking lot today, now it's going to be profound, you're going to have to turn your steering wheel to aim the car toward it. If you don't aim your heart to seek the Lord and turn that way, you could find yourself doing stuff you never imagined. Well, not me. There are other people who have thought not me. But if you could get into the counsel of their life, somehow... Either bitterness, some kind of distraction got in that started drawing them away from their relationship with the Lord, and it, their wheel turned, so to speak, and they started going away they never thought was possible. And I'll tell you this, that's never satisfying, it's never fulfilling, and it won't do anything for you. And so, he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He didn't do it. It said he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. How would you prepare your heart to seek the Lord? That's a good question. What can you do? Somebody said, well, I know the title if you pray. Well, you're much smarter than the person next to you. Prayer is a part of it. If you will, turn with me to Matthew 26. What is the heart? What is your heart? And they didn't prepare their heart to seek the Lord. What is my heart? What is your heart? The heart of something is the core of something, right? If you think of the heart of a tree, you think of the bark, right? No. Right? If you think of a heart of an apple, you think of the stem, right? No. No. When you think of the heart of something, you think of the core, the middle, something really in there. Right? When you talk about the heart of something... Let's get down to the heart of the matter. You know, ever talk to somebody and we call it beating around the bush? You know, they're over here, they're over here, and you're supposed to have this serious conversation, but nobody wants to get down to it. And then finally, just somebody said, we just need to get down to the heart of the matter. That means to keep talking about nothing, right? No, it means to get down to the core, the real deal. And so, When we talk about setting our heart, we're talking about the core of the way we reason, the core of the way we process, the core of the way we believe, and how we're going to function. And so he said, we've got to prepare our own hearts. Now, God will work with you and God will help you, but He will not override your will. And so notice this in Matthew, once I get there. 26, this was a time when we see some contrasting things, but it was a time when two different people, well, really more than two, but two specifically, were supposed to or needed to set their own hearts. Matthew 26 is a familiar set of scriptures to a lot of people. Whether you've served the Lord, been in the church or not, these verses are very familiar. And these are the times, where or the time when Jesus at the end of his life was about to be called on to offer up himself and give himself as a sacrifice for humanity so man could get set free from their bondage, their life, the old way, come out from sin, come out from spiritual darkness, come alive in him, become a child of God. Humanity was waiting for this day. Everything was leaning on this time. And he was just about to do what he needed to do, and there was pressure on him to do something else. That's good to know. If there was pressure on Jesus, there will be pressure on you at times. And so here it says in verse 36, Then Jesus came with, 26 chapter, 36 verse, how to set your heart. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go pray over there. So he's got 11. He doesn't have all 12. One is gone doing something else. But he's got 11 of them, and he said, sit here. You guys hang out here. I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to start to pray. So he said, I'm going to head down here. Just sit here. Notice he didn't tell them, you know, fast, pray. He said, you just sit here. I'm going to pray. Verse 37, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. So out of the 11 that are left, eight of them are sitting there, and three have been told, Come with me. Come with me. And so it says he was starting to be distressed inside. The pressure of what is upon him is starting to push, and he said in verse 38, you know, when his soul was exceedingly sorrowful, verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Notice what he said to these three, stay here and watch with me. Now, we know in the command it was to pray, and we'll see it in a minute. So he told these three people, you guys need to pray. We're talking about setting our heart. I know this, you should purpose to have your own prayer life. But I promise you this, there will be days when all 11 of us are doing our thing and the Lord will personally deal with you to set time aside. Where eight of your friends are not. Or a bunch of your friends are not. And you might think, well, they're not. I shouldn't. Why do I have to when they're not? Because the Lord knows what's coming. He knows how to prepare His people if they will listen to Him. Because remember, this is a relationship with the Lord. And so they had a relationship with Him and they were dealt with. You need to come over here, and you need to come with me and pray. The others got to sit there. I don't know. Maybe they were playing those little games on their phone. But the other ones were called to go and not play games on their phone and spend some time with him. Now, everybody needs time, but sometimes God will call you specifically to add some more time. You with me? And so here he does this, verse 39, and he went a little farther than those three and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Lord, oh, or oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. There's the first thing if you're going to overcome evil. You're going to have to get your will set to seek the Lord and do what he wants over what the world demands. Nevertheless, not what I will. Remember, he didn't seek the Lord, the one guy, and he went and did evil. Here is where Jesus started setting his heart to do what God wanted him to do. He knew and there was a struggle. And so he prayed. And what did he do? He said, nevertheless, not what I want in other words, is there an easier way to go to do this? Do I really have to go to the cross? Can we just like pay something else or do you know, give him a bunch of cattle? Is there another way? He said there is no other way. He said, "Okay, then not my will, but I'll submit my will to what you want." Our lives really need to be that way, and that's where people end up going to do evil when their will is not set to do what God wants. Then when evil comes, they sometimes will just submit it. And it was never their intention to begin with. But notice this. It says, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Verse 40, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, this is so fascinating to me that he called 11 to be with him there. Then he only took three and commanded the three to pray, but he only corrected one of them for not praying. Only one. But we know Peter was going to face stuff some of the others weren't. And Jesus had already told him before. He was warning him personally. You're going to face some things, there's going to be some pressures, and you're going to be challenged to deny me. And he said, never, Lord. You don't think the Lord wanted him to make a stand and be able to stand? So he said, you come and you pray. And he came back and he dealt with him. And what did Peter do? Then he came to his disciples, verse 40. And he found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? In other words, he was talking about praying. Couldn't you spend the time that I was spending and pray? Boy. You could really read into that. Because how many people say, I would, but I'm too busy. I've got a lot going on right now. Oh, they had a lot going on right then. They're serving the Lord. The Lord had a lot going on. He could have said, man, I'm about to be whipped. I'm about to be killed. We need to get back down to Joe's taco stand because I know I ain't getting any more of those because I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be in heaven. And I, if I can get those tacos one more time. No, he knew. You with me? And he said, watch and pray lest you enter into the temptation so the watching being alert and praying would help him avoid the temptation why would it help you to avoid the temptation why would it help me to avoid the temptation what's cool is the lord knows things that are coming and he wanted him to avoid it if i pray i tap into god's strength If I pray, you know, have you ever? I've been around people, and sometimes somebody comes up and hugs you, you know, and some people wear cologne or perfume and different things. And I've walked away after just a simple hug and went, "That's not me." You with me? I got something just from a simple hug. Most of you know me, so you won't be thinking anything weird about this. The rest of you will just think weird about it. The other day, I was with some people, and I found this big dead frog. It was all hollowed out, and I grabbed the thing. I thought, cool, this is cool. And uh, I picked it up and went, whoa, that thing stinks. And so some people were coming through the door, and I said, you see this? And they're like, yeah. And I thought it was funny. And then I went, man, that thing smells. I threw it, and you know what? Just from holding it that little bit, So I run around high-fiving people. No, I didn't do that. But that was on my hands from that contact. The Bible said there is no searching for God's strength, for His wisdom, in His power. He doesn't lack any of it. But I'll tell you what, the Bible said he who hangs out with the wise becomes wise. Well, why do we just think that's only with who we hang out with personally as people? What about hanging out with God? People who hung out with a God in the Bible, they said they could tell they had been with Jesus. And people can tell, and you can tell when you've been with Him. And there is an effect on your life. And so don't challenge God when He's challenging you to pray. Have a time of prayer, but if He ever deals with you to up it for a little bit, up it. Because this is a place where you get to set your heart. And what I find interesting is he came back and he challenged him again. He said, could you not watch and pray with me one hour? Why? Because he was trying to help him survive the test that was coming. And then it went on to say, because here's the thing. It wasn't only for the test that was coming. He needed to be in a good place because he was going to be used mightily by God. There was a call on his life. He needed to pray because he needed to be in a good place to fulfill that call. And if you're going to be set when you get into ministry or serving in the church, there are going to be challenges because you will be opposed, not by other Christians, hopefully. Come and serve in the church and everybody will oppose you. No, but you're just going to face stuff in life because people are going to be doing stuff and somebody's not going to say hi to you and you're going to have a chance to fall apart and They're thinking bad about me and uh, whatever. And if you're not praying, you're going to have a chance to lean on that. And we need to be bigger than that. You with me? At least a little bigger than that. But one way you're going to get bigger than that is if you spend time with God, because I guarantee you His wisdom will rub off on you. Go live in the South. I lived in the Midwest where people had a southern accent, and I remember when I was a youth pastor going to a high school to preach and do this thing for their Christian group, and so they had me in there, and I was preaching, and when the group of leaders got together like a couple weeks later, or maybe it was for longer than that, maybe a month or two after, and they have somebody new in every week speaking, one of the leaders said, who didn't know how I was, said, we need to get that guy who's from the South back in here. <laughs> it had rubbed off on me. You with me? I have a friend who is, lives down in the South. His wife is from, like, Ohio. She talks like she's from Mississippi now, you know, or to a degree. I better be careful in case. I mean, uh, Louisiana. That way they don't know if they ever listen to this or Tennessee or something like that. I think they're actually from uh, New York. And um, (laughs) she was. But you know what I mean? Her speech has been influenced by her surrounding. And if you'll hang out with God, you will be influenced by him. You cannot. Why do we run and we tell people when they move here and they're new from out of town, we say, the summers are not bad here. Don't we normally say that? Most people do. They're not that bad. All you do is when you get out of the car, you just kind of head across the parking lot and get in the building. Right? Isn't that what we tell them? And then, you know, you don't go say you sit outside and have a burger. You know, we don't talk like that. We go, you go from here to there. What are we doing? We're saying we get in one environment, get into another environment. Stay out of that environment because these environments will influence you. And when there comes a time when it's hot, you just need to realize what environment you've got to get into. And you need to come boldly and spend time with the Lord. How many times have you ever just like stuck your head in the refrigerator or you've been in a convenience store and you're hot and you're like... <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you just keep the door open. and You're like, oh, this feels... Yeah. And you're like... And then you close the door and then you're like, oh, I don't want that. You didn't want it anyway. You just wanted what was in there. But you like that influence. You can live in an atmosphere like that if you have your own freezer, right? Jesus called your closet, your personal place, your own freezer. Affect your own environment, it'll affect you. And so here, notice this. Verse 40, it said, Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 40, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation, for the Spirit indeed is willing. We want to, but the flesh is weak. When you pray, hear me on this. This is so helpful, and it's simplistic. There's an inward part of you and an outward part. You're a three-part being, and I'm not going to talk about this. But there's a spirit part of you, and an emotional part of you, and a physical part of you. And when you pray and spend time with God, you are literally going to have to crucify your flesh. What do I mean by that? Your flesh will want you to do anything but to sit quiet and talk to God. I mean, you could care less if you're a slob normally, dishes everywhere, but then you go to pray, and all of a sudden, you're Mrs. or Mr. Clean. Well, I got to go clean those dishes. I need to clean the freezer. It's been like that for months, but now that you've decided to pray, your body does not like to sit still, and your body is the problem when it comes to temptation. This is why praying pushes you under and makes you discipline your body. You're already used to disciplining your body so that and, and being influenced by God, and it's affecting your spirit where God communicates with you. So now when you go to face it, you've already been used to responding inside, being influenced inside in your spirit, and your body, you've got it in practice for keeping it under control by sitting and praying. Amen. And you did it, and he influenced you. So when you get in those times, you're used to saying no to your flesh, and you're used to being influenced by God and responding to his dealings. You with me? And so here, he said, the flesh is weak. So He said, no, my flesh is strong. No, we're not talking about muscle strength. We're talking about what it could be apt to do. You with me? And verse 42, again, a second time, he went away and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 43, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them. He didn't bug them anymore. Does it mean the command changed for them? No, he just didn't bug them. Maybe God's dealt with you recently about praying, and you're like, well, he's not now. I'm okay. Uh, Maybe if you haven't fulfilled it, maybe you should say, Lord, is there some praying I should be doing beyond just the normal time of my prayer? I'll tell you what. You come under the influence of spending time with God and you will find a new way of life. And you won't be looking for everything else. And you won't find because you'll realize, I found what satisfies. And he prayed a third time saying the same words in verse 44. Verse 45 said, then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Here's something that is interesting here. In this context, Jesus came out and did what he needed to do. Peter came out and didn't do what he needed to do. God still had mercy on Peter. God still used Peter. But it wasn't his ultimate design for him to cuss. And to deny the Lord and say, I don't belong to Him, and I'm not one of them. That wasn't His design. God had mercy on Him. I guarantee you this, by reading the book of Acts, Peter changed his habits. Or at least he worked to, because you could find him in places of prayer in the book of Acts. When nobody else was there. As a matter of fact, there was one time he was on a roof praying. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to tell people that's the best location, especially if you have a roof that's pitched, you know, real steep. Like, <laughs> I just got to obey the word. No. But he was up on some kind of, I assume, a flat roof. And uh, he uh, was up there praying, praying away. And as he prayed, Other people were preparing food. There was other people doing other things. He didn't go down and prepare the food. And God began to speak to him about something in his plan for the human race that actually had to do with an effect of all of us sitting here today. This is the first time non-Jewish people were purposefully reached. Even though it was in the will of God, it took him 10 years to get there. And it came out of that, and then he followed through as he prayed.